0: Hi, I'm Sharon Jones, Head of Digital Innovation at the King's Fund, and today I'm speaking to Dan Such, the Director of CAST, a charity which helps organisations use digital for good, with the aim to create a more responsive, resilient and digitally enabled social sector. Our topic of discussion is design thinking and how this can be embedded across an organisation. Can you tell us a little bit about what CAST does?
1: Yeah, of course. So. so- we believe that civil society organisations are just critical to the health and well-being of our communities. And we know how important digital is. So we spend our time trying to help civil society organisations use digital in their strategy, in their services or in, in their approaches. What that really means is we, we help civil society organisations develop new digital services or new digital strategies. We help develop digital leaders within civil society organisations and we often work with grant funders to help them provide the best sort of support and resources so that civil society organisations can really flourish in their use of digital. The final thing we do is we often initiate and incubate new approaches to using digital, whether that's championing reuse of ethical technology or whether it's incubating great big networks like the Catalyst.
0: Can you Tell us what a civil society
1: organisation is. Yeah, it's just a more expansive term for charities. One thing we saw particularly through, um, through the pandemic is the number of different organisations that respond to provide help to communities across the country. So we certainly have brilliant charities. We also have community groups and faith groups and sports clubs and all these organisations that are providing health and support and well-being to their communities. And almost all of them can benefit from really understanding how they can harness digital.
0: Yeah. Sounds great. And what common challenges do you see time and time again when organisations come to you? I, th-
1: I think the biggest thing that they, they have realised is the change in the communities they're trying to support, particularly the change in how people are looking for support for information for resources, and how very often that's now a digital activity. And if civil society organisations really want to provide support to those communities, then they need to be able to respond to that change. So that's the kind of the first is like a change in people's behaviour. And we saw that just hugely through the pandemic, where so much kind of support and need for support was expressed digitally.
0: So we're going to be talking about design thinking today, and it seems like such a like a buzzword. You see it in sort of job descriptions, and you know we need to have design thinking, and it isn't anything new. So can you can you break it down for our listeners and break it down in simple terms, and what are the pros and cons?
1: Yeah, definitely. It, it's it's still definitely a buzz term. Yeah. Um, it's essentially just a set of strategies or processes that are used by designers as they try to solve problems and ideally then create new solutions. That's what it is. It's like being creative and thoughtful. But when we, when we unpick what that really looks like, then we begin to kind of get a bit more of a detail. So the first is it starts with really understanding users' needs, behaviours and expectations. And that means it's focused on the individuals or the communities or the the humans that we're trying to support and builds from there rather than elsewhere. So that's the first. It's, it's, it's user-led or user-driven. The second is it's it's test-driven, which means we don't just make assumptions or we don't just kind of guess what might work. We test things out as we go, very often using prototypes. And that's why this type of, kind of design thinking often links so much to digital because you can kind of make things quite quickly. So you've got those two things. So it's user-led, it's test-driven. It's also really creative. Like One of the best bits is where you can like try out all these different ways in which you can address this problem. So it's a really creative approach. But possibly the, kind of the most important thing that brings them all together is it's really iterative. Take like lots of small steps to get to your big solution. Always testing, always making sure it's focused on the needs, behaviours, expectations of your user group. And that's kind of the real, kind of the things that bring it all together. So it's iterative, it's creative, starts with user needs and it's test driven. There are loads of pros to doing that. And we've seen that you know, through whole new industries and products and services being created. The biggest con, the biggest problem with it particularly for people in kind of civil society, is if you just relentlessly focus on individual users' needs and behaviours, then you miss out all of the community, social and environmental value, which means you can become really focused on just individual needs and create great products and services that might make you a lot of money. But they can also be destructive to communities and to environment. So the biggest challenge for our sector in trying to adopt this is how do you take this kind of this really like focused user-led test-driven mm. approach, but you look to create balanced value? So, balancing the value for individuals, for communities, and for the environment.
0: Do you think there's anyone who or any organisation who's cracked that consistently?
1: I, th- I think there are loads. Yeah, I think there are loads that are doing really well. I mean, there's a wonderful design organisation called, called Shift Shift Design who have been kind of driving this approach for for so long. There are other design agencies like Snook or FutureGov, or Sidelabs, or Neon Tribe, who have spent years working with charities and local government to help them adopt these approaches. But it's really tough. It's really tough. Um, but that's part of the challenge of working in our sector, right? Is is you are trying to kind of balance like short-term needs of individuals with long-term system change in a way that's, you know, really kind of useful to many people and fundable, or at least kind of financially viable. But there are lots of people who are making really good progress. And I think Particularly over the last year, we've seen huge progress as more and more charities and more and more agencies have kind of been working on some of these big social challenges across through the pandemic and beyond.
0: Wow. I mean, they all sound like super trendy organisations. So (laughs) when you think of an organisation which isn't kind of, you know, the height of uh, innovation, perhaps, what do you think the barriers are when trying to embed this way of thinking within an organisation?
1: There are quite a few because it's quite a different way of thinking about problems. So the first one that overrides all of them is it is just mindset. Yeah. I mean, particularly when we think about um, you know, our wonderful charity sector for decades, centuries, we dream up ideas. You, know, you pitch them to funders. You get funding to do something and then you go and deliver it. You get funding to deliver that solution. Whereas design thinking is saying, let's back a team to figure out the problem, then figure out a solution and then deliver it. So it's sort of quite got a fundamental difference between saying, I'm going to kind of dream something and predict what's going to work and that's kind of how our approach is going to be taken, all the way through to saying we're going to take this iterative test-driven approach and kind of figure it out over time. So that so kind of shifting that mindset to saying, we're going to test our assumptions, we're going to build this around the needs of and behaviors of individuals, and then we're going to figure out our solution. That's that's the biggest one. Yeah. The the second thing I think I kind of touched on a little bit there is this shift from predicting what's needed to testing and figuring out what's needed. Mm. And it's it's tough. I mean, you, when you get to the top of an organisation, or you're used to kind of bid writing, you're good at predicting and kind of convincing people what's needed and what's going to happen. Whereas within this approach of saying genuinely, we've got some assumptions or some hypotheses about what might work, but we're going to test it out, and that means there's a shift in power dynamic from those who can write good bids or those who kind of want to be able to kind of tell a good story in the future, to those who are going to kind of take take a test driven approach. So that's quite a significant shift. Um, yeah. I think the two others that are really kind of important. So the first is following that model of like taking this test-driven approach. Good kind of human design or, or kind of design teams will be empowered to make decisions based on the data and the experiences they're having as they're designing. Mm. Which means it's teams that are empowered rather than maybe the kind of person at the top of the organisation. So that's quite tricky for some organisations to say, I'm going to give all the power for decision-making or most power of decision-making to a small team. And then the final one is starting with the needs and behaviours and expectations of the user group rather than what's needed for the organization. Yeah. And it's really tough to say, look, we're going to, you know, we might end up doing something that's completely distant from what our strategy might be, what we thought was needed, but we're going to root it absolutely in the individual's needs and behaviors. And that's quite a, quite a tricky thing to do.
0: That is quite hard. And in terms of like funders, do they kind of get on board with this way of working? Cause obviously they're, they're putting their money, you know, into this project and they want to see results. What is your experience of that? Has that been?
1: It's really changed over the last kind of five or so years. Funders still kind of largely will fund a great proposal that kind of speaks to to what it's going to achieve. Whereas more and more now we're seeing funders looking at digital projects saying, we'll fund you to kind of discover and understand what's needed. We'll fund you to define what the solution might be and then to deliver it. And, And particularly kind of really innovative funders like Comic Relief or Esme Fairban or Paul Hammond Foundation who are really kind of trying these new approaches and then we saw this huge fund from the National Lottery community Fund a few years ago where they took the same approach and these funders now saying like we recognize that like you're a great team you can't understand these good processes so we're going to give you the funding to to figure out the problems and to figure out the solutions and where we see that we see much better outcomes and much better solutions there are still lots of funders of course that will fund you know a great application that says this is the thing we're going to deliver but having having worked as a funder myself and having supported hundreds of funders over the last five years i think uh, we have enough evidence to say that if you go into fund digital stuff you have to fund it through discovery and definition before that knowing what the thing is the the output is going to be and what the outcome is you're going to to realize
0: yeah yeah i think that's really true and Design thinking often goes hand in hand with sort of agile methodologies, which you've touched upon. Can you talk a bit more about what agile is? Because that's another word that's banded around quite freely um, and how it can help projects across an organisation. It's not necessarily a digital project.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, it started as a, um, a process used within software development to go iteratively through all these learning loops. Kind of, it was called a build, measure, learn cycle. It should have been called the learn-build-measure cycle, but it's, it's too late. So it's the build-measure-learn cycle where you're going to create these prototypes, you're going to kind of, kind of measure how well they work and learn from that then start again. And Agile is just a set of pro- approaches, processes and ceremonies, they're called, that allow you to go through this, that empower a team to make the right decisions. It started off in software development, but you're right, it's, it's now a good starting point for any project or any kind of new piece of work that's working in a com- complex environment where you don't know what the kind of deliverable thing should be. You don't know the relationship between the input and the output. Now for cast, all of our work, we don't, we can't operate in that space. It's a bit, un, bit unusual and a bit, a bit complex. If you're doing something you've done, you know, a hundred times over, then you don't need an agile process. You can define it up front. You know what's needed. Yeah. But I think I'd argue that for most charities we operate in a space where we're not quite sure how people are using digital in their daily lives. We're not quite sure the best ways of solving a particular solution. So a really kind of way of reducing risk and managing and reducing waste is this agile approach, which is test and learn kind of approach that goes through lots of iterations to build confidence in the way in which you can address a particular issue. Um, so so it, it does go hand in hand. In fact, many people could kind of say design thinking when they probably mean agile and vice versa. And, and I think now agile is kind of used as a kind of a synonym or maybe an umbrella term for this kind of test-driven set of practices and processes which empower a team to solve a problem in a good way, moving towards a good outcome and output through learning and producing stuff.
0: This year's Digital Charity Skills Report revealed that upskilling staff was a high priority for a lot of organisations. Why do you think this is so challenging for the sector?
1: Um, it's so great. That's one of the main outcomes from this year's report that this is now a priority that people have seen. It's wonderful. I think generally the sector doesn't really invest in its stuff. As an overall sector, we push our resources to to frontline delivery as quickly as as kind of smoothly as we can, and we take really kind of frugal approaches. And I think in, yeah, in many times that's okay because you know we've got very committed, very kind of passionate people where there's such a significant change in the practices and kind of these new processes we need to understand, that we do need to invest the time to understand them, to ensure our organisations are more resilient and more robust and more responsive to communities' needs. I think one of the reasons it's become more important for people to invest now in staff in staff skills, is I think um, we saw so many experiments during the pandemic. Charities had no choice but to try and deliver their value digitally because we couldn't see each other physically, of course. And that means we saw thousands and thousands of new approaches of trying to put things online or trying to kind of reach people through digital channels. And that demonstrated some of the value, but also some of the challenges in doing it. And I think now, having had a bit of a break from, from lockdowns and a chance to kind of regroup it a little bit, charities are going, right, we know this stuff can work. We know our stuff used to work like this as well. How do we kind of figure out the best balance? There are some who are still struggling who are doing both kind of face-to-face stuff and digital stuff separately where they're like doubling their out their their costs and, and their work. But for those who've had a chance to reflect, they know there's a there's a new type of hybrid of kind of how charities can work now, kind of, which takes the best of digital, the best of face to face and kind of creates new ways of providing value to our communities. And it starts with investing in the skill levels of our staff, the mindset, and then ultimately kind of the shape and the way in which our organisations are put together.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important. Do you think we're gonna change and Almost well, testing and learning as a sector, as well as these new kind of methodologies.
1: I think so. I think the one thing that uh, that we missed in the pandemic, because there was a pandemic on, right? <laughs> but one thing we yeah. missed was really seeing them as experiments and, kind of, and sharing our learning and kind of documenting mm-hmm. it and making sense of like what what really did work and you know what are the things we tried that didn't quite work. Instead, we all kind of did it individually and independently and like learn. And now we're all trying to reflect. If we can go on a path collectively, like through the Catalyst Network, where there's so many kind of learning events and opportunities to share, then that's yeah. that's our opportunity to really progress as a sector. Partly in sharing some of the things we create, some of the tools and the, and the processes and the resources, but also the sharing, the learning and the journey together through open working and through you know, better communication. We've got a real opportunity to to not just reshape the organisations, but reshape the way we've had. Our sector is organised and that's only going to create more value to our communities.
0: That's right. And that's actually a really exciting opportunity if we can have the courage to take it. So say you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, this all sounds great, but, you know, I'm, I'm not in digital. And, you know, how does this apply to me? What three ways can anyone in any part of the business, use design thinking in their yeah, work?
1: I think that's a, that's a great question. I think uh, the first is just thinking as that, that test and learn approach. So whatever you're doing, be really clear and honest about what your assumptions are, as well as what you really know. And when you've got those assumptions, how might you test them out? And that's the first part of Agile. It's the first, kind of first part of design thinking. It's like being really honest about your assumptions. And whether you're doing something that you've done for like the last five years, or whether you're trying something new that has nothing to do with digital, be really clear about what your assumptions are, what evidence you have for your assumptions and figure out how can you test it out. That's the first. Uh, second is is possibly the most crit- uh, critical, which is spend time with your communities, with the individuals you're trying to work with and really look and help understand their needs, behaviours and expectations. And so that's like what are the things that are going to help them achieve their goals, their needs what are their current behaviors so how do they use digital where they of where do they go for support who do they provide support to and what are their expectations what are the things they enjoy doing what are the things they like to do what are they hoping to get from your community the more time we can spend learning from their them the more we can improve our work and the last one is just to work more openly if you share what you're doing you'll find other people who are taking these approaches and they'll look to support you just as you can support them
0: that's really great advice so um Thanks so much for taking part, Dan. That was great. And thanks to everyone for listening. I hope that shed some light on a much spoken about topic. This is just one of a series of in-house podcasts for the King's Fund, all about various aspects of digital workplace transformation. Bye for now.